ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello, hello. Switch numbers. <laughs> I guess I put the wrong one on. <laughs> well, so what happened was I forgot about the press conference. And so I also have new pants on. And so I threw my jersey back on, but apparently it wasn't my jersey. There we go. Has it been that type of day? I guess it's been that kind of, kind of day, huh? Oh, you got to love Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback. Has his act together on the field, off the field, not so much. We hope to have our act together over the next two hours as the divisional round approaches just two days away. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Hello to our audience on Peacock, Sirius XM85, Sky Sports NFL, and podcast. And hello, not to Chris Sims, who is on assignment. He left for Kansas City a day early, or at least is leaving a day early. Not sure he's left yet. Peter King, kind enough to move from Friday to Thursday. Good morning, Peter. Nice to see you as always. Wait a minute, Mike. Show me something, Daniel Jones. Wait, am I am I early? Yeah, you're you're. We actually have reconfigured our draft protocol for this week. We've moved. Show me something to today. Because oh, I like that. Daniel Jones must be told to show us something. And he definitely showed us something on Sunday in Minnesota to the chagrin of the many Vikings fans that are still Vikings fans after the past 50 years of the things the Vikings have or haven't done. We'll talk hey, Mike, about Mike, 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 let's wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I've got to let's start this show because we have not spoken and I am dying to know what your reaction was Sunday about 7 p.m. Eastern. I know you got a TV show to do, but let's hear deep down what you thought when your Minnesota Vikings bit the bullet that night. I was surprised. I was stunned. I had a quiet calm and an expectation that they would find a way to win the game because they had found a way to win every close game they had played all year long. They had been 11-0 in one-score games. I assumed they would move down the field. I had predicted the final score would be 32-31 when it was 24-24 and the Giants were driving. I said, the Giants are going to score a touchdown, the Vikings are going to drive down, score, and they're going to go for two, and they're going to win, and I just felt that was going to happen. And then I assumed that this weekend they would go to Santa Clara and be absolutely destroyed by the 49ers. I, I, so the, the ride was ending And it was going to end in a very ugly way against the 49ers, who I think are a far superior team. But I did think they would beat the Giants, and I was surprised when Kirk Cousins threw the ball five yards short of the sticks on fourth and eight. I know he had Dexter Lawrence in his face. I don't know why they single-teamed Dexter Lawrence on that play. It was the left guard 
Ezra Cleveland, who was tasked with trying to slow him down, not Garrett Bradbury. Both of them should have been trying to slow him down. I don't think it would have mattered. But anyway, anyway, I was surprised because I thought that the magical ride that was the Vikings 2022 season would come to a crashing thud this weekend. I thought they would advance past the wild card round. So I was surprised. And my son is still recovering from it. Uh, we had a long talk about it Tuesday night. He's very dismayed generally about the franchise and where it's heading, and he thinks dark days are coming. Well, I don't necessarily agree. First of all, I think there's a gutsy general manager, uh, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, who is going to take some chances. He's already proven it uh, with some of the deals he did last year, making an in-division trade. Uh, for bulk and not being afraid to give up something to a team in his division. I like that. So I'm not sure of that. And look, I have the exact same questions as you did about Kirk Cousins the other day. And I'd, I don't want to harp on this for a long time because it's rearview mirror. My biggest problem with all the defenders of making that throw is with Xavier McKinney, and I'm sure that Kirk Cousins doesn't know this at that moment, who's the best tackler on the New York Giants defense? It is the safety that Nick Saban sent to the Meadowlands, Xavier McKinney. And so in a split second, you probably can't think of all that. But my whole thing is, there is absolutely no way I throw the ball five yards short of the sticks on that play, even if it means throwing a ball up downfield and throwing a ball up to a guy who was used far, far too little in this game, Justin Jefferson. And look, if Justin Jefferson is the offensive player of the year, at least in my, and he is, in my opinion, then you've got to give him chances to overcome great coverage which he, the Giants had very good coverage on him in that game. You've got to give him chances to overcome that coverage. Anyway. Defenses used to have great coverage enough, on Randy Moss I had no idea time. we'd be talking about and, that, and I'm sorry I forced the issue, but go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I don't mind it at all. Defenses used to have great coverage on Randy Moss, and the Vikings used to find ways to get him the football. Yeah. There have been great receivers over the years in the NFL, and you design, you scheme to get the guy the football. You anticipate what the defense is going to do, and you stay a step ahead of it. And that gets into the value of coaching in the playoffs. It's something Chris Sims and I have been talking about all week. The one play in the Vikings-Giants game that told me that Brian Dayball outcoached, frankly, Kevin O'Connell, was the fake handoff to Saquon Barkley when Harrison Smith crashed aggressively toward him and a pass play busted wide open. That told me that the Giants knew their tendencies, maybe even deliberately ran exclusively out of that look, out of that formation, out of that down and distance all year long, and it was cat and mouse with the season on the line, and that resulted in a touchdown for the Giants. That's how you make a difference. Coaches matter as we witness the ongoing courtship of Sean Payton by multiple teams. Coaches matter, and great coaches make a huge difference when the postseason rolls around. So let's get to it. Final four games, divisional round coming up this weekend before we know who will be in the literal final four of the NFL. Bengals at the Bills on Sunday. That's the big one in the AFC. Now, our game is Jaguars-Chiefs, and that one I think is going to potentially be very good as well. But Bengals-Bills is the one we've all been looking toward especially over the course of the last 17 days and isn't it amazing peter for as often as we say time flies man it feels like a lot longer than 17 days since demar hamlin's cardiac arrest in the bills bengals game in cincinnati then the game postponed ultimately canceled and now they get together to continue not that they're picking up where they left off. Obviously, they're starting from scratch, but these two teams crossing paths again with their seasons on the line, and both teams more than capable of advancing to the Super Bowl and winning it if they can get past this round. I was incredibly impressed at midnight Sunday, 12, 10 a.m., whatever time it was, it was right around there, that I got Joe Burrow on the phone after uh, – uh, Bengals, Ravens, um, which, you know, the Bengals and Ravens ought to play a seven-game series. Just, 
I mean, I'd watch every minute. And I realize a lot of people are going to say, I don't want to watch Tyler Hundley. Hey, listen, I want to watch a defense that plays great against a great offense and that frustrates a great offense. And let's see Joe Burrow figure him out because I think eventually he will. But I think the thing I was most impressed with on a surprisingly impressive playoff weekend was exactly what Joe Burrow told me after that game, which is because, look, if I were the Bengals, I'd be ticked off. And of course, and of course, Joe Burrow knows these questions are coming. I think I was probably the first one to ask him this question, but I want to read what Joe Burrow said when I asked him about that game, which, uh, you know, obviously was just two weeks in the rearview mirror and how... Uh, regardless of what happened in those circumstances, the NFL did not do anything, uh, you know, like have a coin flip for this game to determine home field or to have a neutral site game. You know, when I asked him whether it was fair and he said, you know, when it, it, he just, he, I'm sure he anticipated the question. He said that, you know, it is what it is. And then he said, When something like that happens, you're not the Bengals and the Bills anymore. You're NFL players who care about each other and want the best for one another. That was a tough moment, and it's great that he's back in Buffalo with his team. And I gave him two chances to say something about the relative, if you feel that it's unfair, uh, of going up there. And he just wouldn't do it because he said, hey, listen, we have to find a way. He said, it's our job to go in there and figure out a way to get a win. Bravo, Joe Burrow. And sometimes when you think that, um, you know, that social media and the opinion makers or the opinion shapers uh, are the loudest voices, both in the media and uh, in the outside world and and in fans. You know, guys like Joe Burrow say, hey, everybody, just shut up. We're going to play the game. There's more important things to worry about. And we are not going to focus on that this week. So I applaud Joe Burrow for that. The Bengals went through a serious trauma as they witnessed what happened with DeMar Hamlin 17 days ago. The Bills have been dealing with it ever since. Yesterday, Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, quarterback and head coach, respectively, of the Buffalo Bills, addressed whether the emotion from the DeMar Hamlin incident would carry over to this not-really-rematch between the Bengals and the Bills. Well, I think the guys are in a good spot. Um, You know, DeMar's um, in the building now almost starting daily, and so that's that's good news. And um, as he continues to improve... Um, I think those are, you know, that, that certainly helps. So that, that's going to be, I mean, that's, that experience is, we'll carry that with us. And there's a lot of, there's a challenge to that, but there's also a lot of good that came from that. And I think right now we need to focus on the positive um, and, and the positives that came out of that as opposed to the other piece of it right now. I don't think there's honestly too much left over. Um, obviously with guys being able to see a little bit of DeMar, um, you know, I know Coach said he's been in the building. So guys being able to see him, talk with him, I think that kind of alleviates most of that. Um, I'm not saying that there's going to be none. You know, I can't speak for everybody on the team. Um, but, again, I think we're, we're just extremely focused right now and just having a good week of preparation and, you know, trying to go out there on Sunday and execute. You know, the Bills have not looked dominant. They haven't looked particularly sharp in the two games since – DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest in Cincinnati. The Patriots gave the Bills a tougher game than expected in Week 18. And the Dolphins, down 17-0, made it extremely interesting. Took the lead at one point over the Bills on uh, Sunday in the wild card round. So I I feel like the Bills are still kind of waiting to break through and break out. And there are questions about whether they even can. There are questions about the Bengals' offense. But, Peter, before we pivot to that, the DeMar Hamlin thing – you know, again, 17 days, it seems like it's been so much longer than that. I do need to give credit because we did this a couple of weeks ago 
with Gail Benson and the Saints when they made 67 AEDs available to youth recreational leagues throughout the New Orleans area. The Packers kicked in $100,000 yesterday for AEDs, 80 of them throughout Wisconsin, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, working with Bell and Health, their official health care partner, not just to make these available so they're at sporting events where youths can be struck in the chest and go into cardiac arrest, or really anybody there can have cardiac arrest. AEDs plus training in the use of the AEDs and CPR for people who will be in and around those facilities when those games are occurring. I'm telling you, lives are going to be saved by what happened to Damar Hamlin. And that, to me, is the thickest silver lining to this dark cloud that the Bills have been dealing with. Yeah, there's no question about it, Mike. And I think um, I spoke the other day to uh, to a lacrosse player. I'm going to be writing about him in my column. A lacrosse player from Florida uh, who 16 years ago uh, suffered the exact same fate as DeMar Hamlin. Uh, got a hard shot in the chest on the field uh, in Jacksonville and went down. And luckily for him, the head coach of his lacrosse team was a local firefighter who came out and right away started to perform CPR on him. And luckily, there was a device there to shock his heart, uh, you know, back into form. And, you know, he went to the hospital and is okay now. And it's amazing. I asked him, you know, and now it's 16 years later, how are you doing? And he goes, great. I I've got a business. He's got 100 employees. He's 31 years old. Went to Central Florida. I got a business. Yes, I learned CPR, you know, and uh, he said he was going to reach out. And if DeMar wanted to talk to him, he'd be happy to do it. But Mike, the amazing thing about this story is that this kid was playing lacrosse one month later, you know, having his heart stop on the field. And he said, when I woke up, and looked around and everybody was crying and so concerned. He said, I wondered, and then I felt, oh my God, my chest hurts, which when you have CPR, your chest hurts. But I do think that it's a great lesson for everybody to understand that, you know, that, that, you know, just because your heart stops, you know, there are ways to start it again and uh, to get well and to live a prosperous and very fruitful and productive life. And I think DeMar Hamlin is going to have the opportunity to do the same thing. And two NFL teams making the significant contributions to their local communities. Here's hoping the rest of them eventually follow suit. And these AEDs are available at all youth sporting events where something like that could happen. Because, Peter, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we are inevitably going to hear a story of someone whose life was saved and the person who saved that young person's life is going to say, I was aware of this because of what happened to DeMar Hamlin. And the news broke last Saturday that DeMar Hamlin was back in the team facility. There was a ton of speculation as to whether or not he was going to be at the wild card game. The Bills were keeping it extremely quiet. I think there was contemplation. The AP even reported at one point the plan was for him to be there, and then the plan changed. I'd be stunned if he's not there this weekend for the Bills-Bengals game. And uh, if he's in the facility every day and he's he's going to be nearly three full weeks removed from this and he seems to be doing so well, I, I fully expect that we're going to have that DeMar Hamlin moment we've all been anticipating, especially because if the Bills – well, if the Chiefs win the day before, we know that if the Bills advance, there won't be an AFC championship game in Buffalo. The only way it's going to happen in Buffalo is if the Jaguars upset the Chiefs on Saturday. So this is the last chance. If the Chiefs win Saturday, this is the last chance for the DeMar Hamlin moment in 2022 season. And I, th- I think we're going to see it, and I think it's going to be awesome. No matter what we expect, I think whatever we witness is going to be better than what we could have envisioned. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. And look, at some point, he is going to surface publicly. And I'm sure that, you know, if I'm DeMar Hamlin, you know, look, I was in Buffalo, uh, you know, the last week of the season and almost two weeks ago and the outpouring of love. I mean, I went to somebody's house uh, and they had gigantic um, displays of DeMar Hamlin 
literally being beamed on their house from a template that was being shot onto their house that their high school son had invented. I mean, that's got to be overwhelming for a guy like DeMar Hamlin. Let's face it. Nobody in America had heard of DeMar Hamlin before that Monday night. Two days later, he's on the back cover of the New York Post with a blaring headline, America's Son. And so if you look at all of that and you look at everything, all the attention, people going live from the hospital at all hours of the day or night, how is DeMar? How's he doing? It's got to be overwhelming for a guy who has lived his life totally, absolutely without fame. So, you know, honestly, I don't blame DeMar Hamlin if he wants to lie low or lay low for a while. So whatever he chooses to do, whatever the Bills choose to do, we ought to just support it and say, hey, if he's ready to go out and to appear at a, you know, and wave to the crowd at a football game, good for him. It'll be a very emotional time. But if he chooses not to, hey, it's, it's, it's his call, it's their call, and, and I think you got to support him. Yeah, I think he'll be there, and I think it will be incredible. Now, what hasn't been incredible, as I mentioned, is the Bills' offense. And Josh Allen, this is something Chris Sims has been saying all year, he doesn't have much help around him beyond Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis didn't really flourish into the guy we thought he would be in 2022 after he had four touchdown catches against the Chiefs in that epic divisional round game. Last year, they have Cole Beasley back. They have John Brown back. God, who's next? Andre Reid. It really is amazing that they're getting the band <laughs> back together. And, and, and Peter, you know, the other thing that I keep watching, I would have thought the two touchdown returns from Naheem Hines would have earned him more reps, more playing time on offense, more touches. He had one touch. He had 10 plays offensively. If I'm Sean McDermott, I'm telling Ken Dorsey, Get the ball in this guy's hands. This guy is incredibly special in the open field, in the broken field. Let's simulate what it's like when he's got the ball on a kick return. Bubble screen, jet sweep, something. Let him do his thing. I thought we'd see it, and maybe they were holding it. Maybe they thought they didn't need it against the Dolphins. Maybe they're saving it for this one. But Josh Allen needs some help around him. 22 giveaways from Allen this year, 16 interceptions in the regular season in the playoffs. You know, he wasn't even the second-team All-Pro quarterback. I was stunned when that came out last week because I voted Mahomes, then Allen. I don't know what you voted, but it ended up Mahomes, then Jalen Hurts. And for the guy who was the all-off-season MVP favorite and most-of-the-season MVP favorite, I'm surprised Josh Allen wasn't at least the second-team AP All-Pro quarterback. And the guy still has, man, look at that throw, incredibly high on talent, but, you know, impressive throw, caught by the wrong guy. (laughs) Mike, uh, to let you know, I voted Burrow second team, and if it wasn't, if there was a third team, I would have voted Hurts. It's nothing anti-Josh Allen. I think when you get down to it, you have to make tough choices on things like quarterbacks and, and coach and things like that, because there are a lot of really good ones but i i find it really ironic we're in the final eight of the season right now mike and who are the best weapons for one of those eight let's take the new york giants the best weapons number one daniel jones number two saquon barkley number three isaiah hodgins 10 weeks ago the buffalo bills took him off their active roster tried to sneak him through to the practice squad. And that's unfair to say. They they needed, uh, you know, room on their roster for another position. And so cut Isaiah Hodgins would have brought him back to the practice squad. But there's Brian Dable, the head coach of the Giants, and Joe Shane, the GM of the Giants, who last year were with every day of that year. We're with Isaiah Hodgins, who was a sixth-round draft pick of the Bills in 2020. And so they knew him. They knew him well. And deep down, I'm told, there are those inside the Giants who said he will step in and be our number one receiver. Who knows if that'll develop into it, but he'll be our best guy. And the reason I say I find it ironic is that I think there would be a place 
right now, today, at this moment, in this game, this week, for Isaiah Hodgins with the Buffalo Bills. Look at how he's played with the Giants. So, you know, to me, I think that is one of the things, it's one of the things, Mike, quite honestly, that I love about pro football. Time and time and time again. The Jacksonville Jaguars and New York Giants, last year, combined record, 7-27. and 27. This year, they're two of the final eight teams in the National Football League. And so you can say whatever you want about one man's trash is another man's treasure, which is perfect in this case. But you can also say, we'll talk about the Jaguars a little bit, if you draft high year after year after year, at some point, don't you have to be good? I mean, you know, and so to me, one of the things I love about pro football, honestly, is that there are built-in devices to make the horse crap teams good. (laughs) And two teams in the NFL last year were absolute horse crap. The Giants, the 15th seed in the NFC. The Jaguars, the 16th seed in the AFC. There should have been reverse playoffs. Maybe the Giants and and Jaguars would have met for the bad Super Bowl. But but I, I, I guess my overriding point is, with all the devices built in to make bad teams good, we're seeing that in spades this year, and I just think it's great for the game. Well, it's great for the game. It's great for the league. It's great for interest in the league because it causes, and you and I have had this discussion many times in the past, hope, whether plausible or barely plausible, it creates hope for all of the other horse crap teams out there that they are one coach away, one move away, one bounce of the ball away, one whatever, gust of wind, whatever, away from stringing together victories, finding themselves in the postseason, finding themselves in the final eight, and maybe eventually finding themselves in the Super Bowl. And I had a flash as you were talking about that connection between the Bills and the Giants. Boy, wouldn't it be something if we have a Super Bowl 25 rematch this year, Bills-Giants? There's a lot of different potential Super Bowl combinations coming out of the remaining eight that would be fascinating games. But Bills-Giants together again with Brian Dayball, the former offensive coordinator and other coach of the Giants, that would be something if they got together in Arizona coming up here in just a few weeks. All right, let's focus on the Bengals now. The Bengals, uh, specifically on the question of them being the underdog in this game, they are five-and-a-half-point underdogs. Here's head coach Zach Taylor and quarterback Joe Burrow talking about their status as the team not favored to win the game. And we, we know that we're the defending AFC champions, you know, and so there, there's an edge to this team where we're not an underdog to anybody. And so I, I think that's that's just been the feeling we've had all season. We don't really care what anybody else says about us. Um, we know we belong in the field with every team in this league. I always enjoy going on the road. It's uh, just you and your guys. feels like it's you against the world, and that's, that's where we like to be. Do you feel like an underdog going into this game? I never feel like an underdog. <laughs> That's that attitude that the Bengals have. And they've quietly had it all year because no one was Burrow. really paying attention to the <laughs> Bengals. It, it, isn't it amazing? Has there ever been, Peter, a team that had been to the Super Bowl that didn't have the proverbial target on its back the next year? The Bengals should have been the team all year long that everyone was gunning for. Instead, it was the Bills. So it's fitting that they meet in the postseason. The team that should have been the one that every other team is trying to beat versus the team that ultimately became the team everyone was trying to beat. And meanwhile, the Chiefs are like, what the hell about us? What, what about We've been overlooked too. But the Bills became that team that everyone circled, and the Bengals were just kind of like, eh, it was a fluke. They won't do it again. Yeah, I disagree with you, Mike. Uh, I don't think the Bengals should have been the team that everybody circled coming into this year. In my opinion, it should have been the Buffalo Bills because this is the team that scored 47 and 36 points in two playoff games, never punted, couldn't be stopped, and was only stopped by a coin flip at the start of overtime at Arrowhead Stadium. So how in the world could anybody say, and look, with all due respect to the Bengals, they they weren't the offensively explosive team 
in the playoffs that the Bills were. They're not the team that went out and got Von Miller to solve its one big problem in the offseason. I think it was very justifiable. I have zero regrets about putting the, uh, you know, picking the Bills to, you know, to win the AFC this year. I'd do it again a hundred times because everything in their, about their ethos and about their future looked like it was going to be that way. And, you know, the one other thing I think I would say, Mike, is, and again, I am like everybody else. I look at the carelessness that the Bills have exhibited at times on offense, the chances that they've taken on offense and all the turnovers for Josh Allen. I get it. I understand that. But I think the one thing I keep saying to myself is, and I got to look this up. I wish I had done it before the show. For the last five games, they've been well over 400 yards in total offense. And, you know, that's not a team that's toothless. So I understand that we all have questions about, you know, the Buffalo Bills, rightfully so. I get it. But this is still a damn good football team that could run the table and be holding the Lombardi for the first time, you know, ever uh, in Glendale, Arizona a month from now. The Bills were the only team in the NFL to have never been the underdog all year long. So everyone kind of had that vibe that they were going to pick up where they left off, be as good, if not better. The transition from Brian Dayball to Ken Dorsey at offensive coordinator, I think, was underrated as it relates to potential impact on the team because Sean McDermott, not an offensive head coach. It's a huge part of your team when you're a defensive coach and your offensive coordinator leaves and you have to break in a new one. And hell, they may have to do it again if Ken Dorsey gets hired by somebody such as the Panthers, who he's scheduled to interview with. So uh, the Bengals, also the underdogs twice this year. They lost to the Ravens in week five as underdogs, and they beat the Chiefs 27-24 in week 13 as underdogs. But again, six and a half points or five and a half points so far. And Peter, one of the big concerns for the Bengals, the offensive line. The revamped offensive line, which took a while to find its groove, to find its rhythm, and now it finds itself down three starters. Leo Collins was injured several weeks ago. Alex Kappa, the right guard, didn't practice on Wednesday. Jonah Williams, the left tackle, didn't practice on Wednesday. They could be down 60% of their starting offensive line. That's not good news for Joe Burrow, who was sacked nine times last year by the Titans in the divisional round. Yeah, I, I just, I think that the Bills have done a good job in overcoming some of the weakness left by uh, the loss of Von Miller. This is a game that they could desperately use Von Miller. Just think back to the Super Bowl when Von Miller made two huge plays in the last five minutes against the Bengals rushing Joe Burrow. But I, I also think that one of the things that Von Miller has done and I remember I covered the Bills at Kansas City earlier in the year. And I remember going through their locker room after the game and Gregory Russo talked about the lessons that he's learned from Von Miller, the daily lessons. And I think one of the biggest things that a veteran pass rusher can teach guys like Boogie Basham, uh, Greg Rousseau, everybody on that front is to vary your rush. And if you see, I bet a third, this would surprise people, but I bet a third of Von Miller's, uh, maybe not a third, but, but I bet a quarter of Von Miller's career sacks come on bull rushes. And you don't think of Von Miller as a bull rusher, but I think that everybody that he is influenced with the Bills, especially, Mike, this week, because the Cincinnati Bengals will have you know, over the last month, basically, they've lost three-fifths of their offensive line. And so they most likely are going to be fielding, uh, not necessarily inexperienced, but inexperienced in games of this magnitude, uh, you know, new guys at right tackle and left tackle. And in my opinion, that could be a huge, huge factor in this game. Absolutely. But either way, it's a great one that we... Thought we would see potentially conclude a few weeks back. It was canceled, and now they will get together on Sunday. Around any corner, 
Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Bills on Saturday, the NBC game. Jaguars at the Chiefs. And after upsetting the Chargers, I think the first reaction was, oh, Jaguars, Chiefs, this one's not going to be very good. The odds makers have it at eight and a half. But the Jaguars, as has been said this week by coach Doug Peterson are playing on house money. They're at a level where no one expected them to get. They can be very loose. They can be free. The chiefs are the ones more likely to be tight. And one guy who isn't tight on Saturdays. um, And I got some things to say about this after, after we hear from Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson about the fact, Peter, if you haven't heard Trevor Lawrence is 37 and 0 in his entire life when playing on Saturday Here's coach and quarterback talking about that statistical <laughs> achievement yesterday. Take a lot of pride in it because we're playing on a Saturday again, you know, so maybe, you know, that would be, you know, so, I mean, just it is what it is. I don't really think about that. I think about we got to win this game to keep going, to keep playing, to keep our season alive. So that's what I think about. So trying to go 38-0 if you want to put it that way. But, you know, about the that streak or whatever, just kind of, honestly kind of a coincidence that, you know, I've had Saturday games on all three levels. But, I mean, yeah, let's, let's keep that going. That means, we're, that means we're playing again next week. So um, that's, the, that's the plan. Are you aware that Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game on Saturday? This guy. <laughs> 37 and 0. High school, college, and pro. He's on the first one. So. That's pretty impressive. Nah, yeah, a lot, a lot. Next question. Good. I'm glad he reacted the way he did. When I first saw that stat, la, la. I, and and I, <laughs> I, I, I love, I love a good, and I know you do too, a highly specific, curious, intriguing, fascinating stat. Day of the week on which game is played, especially Saturday. I mean, he's played two games at the NFL level on Saturday, and they've been in the last two weeks. Who cares? Day of week. Who cares? when he played in high school or college. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, of all the things we could care about, this whole 37-0, and 0, I saw that last week, or it's a, and I was just like, oh, God, social media doing it again. Who gives a rat's ass, as my mom used to say, about that stat? I, I would really like to know, what is Trevor Lawrence's record on days that he eats a Texas bacon cheese steak with hash browns and cheese and a pecan waffle at Waffle House. What's his record on those days? That's as valid as that other one. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's amazing it's become a thing. And I guarantee you, if they win on Saturday and he becomes 38-0, then uh, we won't hear the end of it. Although, it will be the end of it until... It won't be appearing in football 20, morning in America 23. is all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> well... I, I can tell you this. There won't be a Saturday game for the Jaguars until week 15 at the earliest in 2023 because they don't play Saturday games very often in the NFL. And the Saturday games officially end this Saturday. Will the season officially end for the Jaguars this Saturday? Peter, what fascinates me far more than 
Trevor Lawrence's record on Saturdays, the whole Doug Peterson, Andy Reid getting together again. Doug Peterson, a former Reid lieutenant who went to Philadelphia and did the thing that Reid failed to do in all those years there as head coach, get to the Super Bowl and win it. Two of the eight coaches this weekend trying to become eventually the first guy to ever win a Super Bowl with two different teams. 25% of the field, Doug Peterson and Mike McCarthy of the Cowboys. They each have done it with other teams. No one's ever done it. There's been a guy who got back, Bill Parcells. Nobody's ever won it with a second team. Peterson amazes me. And I I was looking before the, the show at how many teams did and didn't interview Doug Peterson last year. There's some teams probably kicking themselves, starting in Denver, for not taking a closer look at Doug Peterson when he was available to anyone last year. Here's the thing about Doug Peterson that I like, that I've always liked. Mike, I go back to um, uh, nine days before the Super Bowl, before the Philadelphia-New England Super Bowl, when I rode to work. Uh, when I was going to write my column that week about a ride to work with Doug Peterson as he tries to go in and slay the dragon uh, who is Bill Belichick and or Tom Brady. And so I met him, and he had to stop at a Wawa in New Jersey. For those who know what a Wawa is, it's it's a gas station slash convenience store slash coffee hub for all the 5.30 a.m. risers. So Doug Peterson's got to get gas. And he gets his gas, and he goes into the thing, pays for his gas and everything, and not a single soul recognizes him. And I was shocked. Philadelphia, South Jersey, not recognizing him, shrugged his shoulders, and it was like, who cares? You know, and I saw that exact same thing the exact same look, the exact same attitude when he did his halftime interview with Kaylee Hartung on NBC. And Kaylee Hartung basically says, hey, Doug, the sky is falling. What are you going to, and she doesn't say this, but in essence, Doug, the sky is falling. What are you going to do? And and he goes, "Eh, you know, we're just going to keep chipping away. We'll be all right. I don't have to say anything to Trevor Lawrence. He'll be fine. He's been through it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm exaggerating. That isn't exactly what he said. But his whole attitude was, hey, I'm not worried. We're going to be okay. And he was okay. And I think that is the strength of a coach like Doug Peterson. That is what he took from Andy Reid. That is what Andy Reid would do. That's exactly the way Andy Reid would handle a half like that and go in. He doesn't have to go talk to Patrick Mahomes and say, gee, Patrick, are you okay? Are you going to throw up at halftime? No. I mean, he understands who he has, who his quarterback is. And Doug Peterson believes that he has trained his players. He has grounded his players. His players understand what is at stake. He doesn't have to harangue them in their biggest game of the year. They know. And they came out in the second half and did exactly what he told them. Chip away. And hey, offense, you got to score on every possession. And they did. And I'm not saying that that's Doug Peterson inspiring his guys or anything like that. But he understands. He's been a player. He's been down that road. He played behind Brett Favre for a number of years. And he saw how the great ones prepare and how losses and and deficits, they just wash right over him. You just move on. Nothing can be gained by crapping your pants at halftime of a big game. Well, in more ways than one, that's for sure. Uh, and, and also, by the way, it doesn't make the cut for vocabulary morning in America, but harangue, one of my favorite words. But not if it's only two syllables, it really can't. It really can't be this week's submission by Peter King for a word that will elucidate and illuminate for many out there. Uh, I, I agree with you about Peterson, and I'm looking at the list of the teams that did and didn't interview him in the last cycle. The Saints, Vikings, Bears, and Jaguars did. So at least they kicked tires on him. The Texans, Raiders, Broncos, Giants, and Dolphins did not look his way at all. And the Broncos really stand out there because maybe maybe the, the Peterson attitude 
is exactly what Russell Wilson would have benefited from in 2022. Who knows? But, and this gets to something I was talking about yesterday, Peter. There are plenty of former head coaches out there who have done pretty well. And I wrote about this yesterday at PFT, and I listed all the names. I tried to be as expansive as I could. Bill O'Brien, Jason Garrett, Marvin Lewis, Mike Zimmer. Guys who have done it and done it well, they aren't even getting interviews. Instead, you've got the owners, lather, rinse, repeat, influenced by idiots like us in the media who are trying to peg the rising stars, even though we have no reason to believe that Ben Johnson is ever going to know how to put his shoes on as a head coach in the NFL, much less command a room of grown-ass men when there are guys out there who have done it and done it well. And kudos to the Jaguars for recognizing that Doug Peterson, by virtue of the fact that he won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, has proven he can do it pretty well. The one thing about that I really appreciated, and look, I, I have given Trent Balky a bunch of guff over the years for some personnel things that he's done and all that. But first of all, Trent Balky has done one hell of a job in Jacksonville, not only in drafting, but in free agency this year and in being the one guy who said, you know what? I'll stick my chest out. I'll go with Doug Peterson. Mike, for those who don't really understand and who are not around it maybe as much as you and I are, and 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 especially over the years, I have been to 50 games in Philadelphia. I have been to their facility 50 times. And I have slept overnight and woke up to WIP in Philadelphia and listen to what they're saying on the radio, and read the columnists and everything. That is a tough city. That's a tougher city than New York, in my opinion, for a coach to win, to ignore everything, and to basically get his team ready to play. What did Doug Peterson do in 2017? He not only got his team ready to play, but they were innovative game after game after game. You know, Jeffrey Lurie loved, uh, was an early buyer into analytics, as was Howie Roseman. And I think they, along with Doug Peterson, basically all believed, let's be a little gutsy on fourth down. Let's put in some plays, uh, you know, that like Philly special that, you know, that nobody is expecting. And the combination of innovation and and steely steadiness by Doug Peterson uh, in 2017 really helped the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl. After that, all hell broke loose. I get it. There's going to be 18 books written about it, and I I understand. But in my opinion, hats off to Trent Baalke, Shad Khan, for picking Doug Peterson to not only... You know, take take uh, you know a very young team, you know, and try to make this young team good. Heck, they're eight and two in the last ten games, but also to tell a young quarterback, "Hey, listen, Trevor, this is not all, the, every year of your career is not going to be like the Urban Meyer year." You know, we're going to show you exactly how a good team is built and run in the National Football League. And you know what? You'll think you're back at Clemson, you know, after a while. The way everything runs on time and very, very well. And that's what Doug Peterson has done. One last point I want to make. We need to take a break. And it's funny because when we started the show, it's like, boy, we got a half hour to talk about these two games. You know, I've been talking about them all week, been thinking about them. How are we going to fill a half hour? And here we are 45 minutes in. The one thing, and Peter, <laughs> I, look – I don't want to be influenced by the fact that I will be on the field at Arrowhead Stadium as part of the NBC pregame coverage. My default always is pick the home team in that setting if you know what's good for you, right? Kind of like the dynamic that the referees must be experiencing when it's time to make a big call. I would like to get out of here alive. Thank you very much. I'll just go with the home team. (laughs) This dynamic of... The one seed with the week off and the team that no one expected to be there that won a hard-fought game 
and feels good about themselves. They've got confidence coming into this game. No one expects anything from them. We've seen it time and again. We saw it last year with both number one seeds. What happens? You get caught flat-footed early. You find yourself in a game, and you see your season crumble before your eyes as the upstart team that nobody expected to be there makes like Rocky Balboa against Apollo Creed. The second time, not the first time, because obviously Rocky lost the first time. Well, Mike, you know, the way I look at this is, you know, if you watch the second half of the Jacksonville, and, and, for, and look, the, the Jacksonville Chargers game was ridiculous. I, I, I texted a good friend of mine uh, at halftime of that game and said, this game absolutely is not over. You know, what, what actually have the Chargers done other than take advantage of incredible field position? Really? Uh, and so, and, and look, I didn't, it's not that I thought the Jaguars were going to win, but, you know, I, I didn't think it was over. But if you watch the second half of that game and you think the Jaguars don't have a chance to win this game, I think you're crazy. Just, I mean, you're, you're just crazy. Now, the one thing that Trevor Lawrence didn't face in the wild card game that he will face in the divisional game is Chris Jones. And, you know, in my opinion, Chris Jones had as close to an Aaron Donald type season this year and gave me real pause toward the end of the season. Am I voting for Nick Bosa for defensive player of the year? Or am I voting Chris Jones? And I have to tell you, it was pretty close. I ended up voting for Bosa. But Chris Jones, I thought he was absolutely dominant. You know, sort of like Dexter Lawrence against the Vikings last weekend. He was in the backfield 10 times every game. And I just think that that is something that the Jaguars will have to deal with this week that they did not have to deal with last week. Speaking of the 49ers, we'll get you ready for the NFC side of the equation. Giants-Eagles Saturday, Cowboys-49ers Sunday. We'll take a break, and we'll take up the NFC bracket when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.